It's the Police Officers Association of Michigan podcast radio show, recorded live in our studios in Redford, Michigan. Home is a full-service labor organization formed to provide every labor-related service from negotiations, grievance processing, legal and legislative representation to Act 312 arbitrations. Well, thank you for joining us. We have a special podcast today here talking with myself, Dwight Seringer, is the Police Officers Association of Michigan President Jim Tiganelli. We had conversations in the past weeks, and it kind of focused around the point of the challenges we're having in law enforcement across the board. And it has a lot to do with the perception coming from society as a whole, but then also inner uh, workings and support inside of departments. And it's become really a political movement. Uh, The Police Officers Association of Michigan um, does a lot for their members throughout the state, being the largest police union. And some of recent news that has been coming uh, down the gamut has been nonetheless concerning. And I wanted to bring Jim on to talk a little bit about um, his thoughts. And I guess after 30 some years of experience, probably more at this point, um, working in law enforcement throughout the state in a variety of different facets, what is happening inside of their individual member groups? What is the notation with members inside of the state? And in going against legislators and national news and how that's affecting the way that they're doing their job. So, Jim, thanks for coming on and helping to clear some air with us today. Good to be with you. So, last week, um, some of the news that came across was, I guess, first and foremost, I know that you're going to be talking a little bit about as far as POAM's political endorsements that would be coming up for the presidential election. Mm -hmm. The National Association of Police Organizations did endorse Donald Trump for the re-election. Um, after they were backing Biden previously, so they had clarification going towards Donald Trump. But I know that's something in the past that POAM has taken part in, uh, leaning one side or the other. And you know, there's a lot of disparagement in regards to that as well. So we'll get to that as kind of an end cap as well. Um, Florida police unions had endorsed a sheriff that took a knee to protesters, and that hit national news. Um, in the recent week, and that is causing a lot of interdepartmental conflict because you have leadership that is supporting police officers and making sure that the protectors are being protected, but then yet when someone partakes in or doesn't partake in um, some new type of a social movement, there seems to be some challenges that gets media attention that causes more stress on the job. And then most recently in Berkeley, California, um, they moved to stop police from conducting traffic stops, and they instead want to use civilian city workers to do these things. And I know that hit a really uh, fine note down your spine in regards to that, too. And you had made mentions of some uh, references back to the Andy Griffith show and doing citizens' arrests and where we're going with all of this. Um, you know, getting to you, Jim, I want you to talk about these things, but I know that recent news also brought us with a non-group member in Sterling Heights, Michigan. Um, a officer received worldwide attention last week after they were called to come and take care of a nine-month-old non-responding child. And from the dash cam, that officer was able to dislodge a pacifier from the throat of this nine-month-old, saving the child's life. And so that brings in the question here. We like to jump in and talk about everything that happened with George Floyd and how that started back into the, the men in blue are no good and they're causing problems and you're, you're talking about a, probably less than a 1% of law enforcement as a whole, but that's been the focal point of media. Seems to be there are a lot of political bias in regards to things going on with that. And then you have gentlemen like the, uh, the, the officer from Sterling Heights that when you need them, they show up and they take care of and do life-saving procedures. Um, there's a lot of that's being called upon officers that I think the public um, take for granted. They look past the fact, and there's just a lot of, I want to say, um, junk news that's going on for obvious reasons. So, Jim, I want to turn it over to you and get your input on some of these things and talk about how POAM is focused on helping to change some of the narrative and keep that out in front for all of the people we support. Well, it's... I have, almost every day somebody will say to me, hey, how's it going? And I say, everyone hates us. And, uh, you know, it used to be like people would think that was humorous, but it's, it's really not. And where this has uh, where this has led, I mean, 
going back even to the sheriff in Florida that uh, they withdrew their endorsement of, just using that as an example, you've got a situation here now where, yes, every day, and I'm not exaggerating, every day somewhere there's an officer going into a burning building, not a fireman, a policeman, going into a burning building and pulling people out. We have, uh, I mean, in fact, our POs of the year this year, we have uh, three from uh, LaPier County and one from Emily City that actually went into a trailer fully involved. If you saw the pictures, it looks like a Hollywood scene. It's unbelievable. And they pulled out five, uh, five kids and an adult, and uh, unfortunately three of the children were, uh, were unable to survive. But these were people that were, uh, I mean, if I described the scene to you, I, I don't know who's listening. It's, it's, uh, it's uh, frightening the types of things that they did. Now, these weren't people in fire suits. They didn't even have fire hoses yet. These were people that just decided, let's get in there and get what we can, passing people through the window of a, of a fully involved house trailer. Nobody oh read about that. Nobody saw that anyway. Or we try to make some, we'll try to make, bring attention to it, as we always do with, at the POAM. But these things happen every year. We have somebody, some police officers that rescue someone from a fire. And that's just an example of things that people don't talk about. Of course, we've had shootings. We had one here a couple of weeks ago in Eaton County, which we can talk about, because I I think it's very important that we look into that a bit. But the problem is, is right now, it doesn't sell much press. It doesn't sell much news. It doesn't sell commercials. Uh, If you see, see you at 11, you know, at 1040 tonight about somebody saving a baby, you're probably going to go to bed. But if you see something that says, uh, you know, these officers got, as it happened two nights ago in Chicago, where they're having frozen water bottles thrown at them, which think about what a you know one liter, half liter bottle of ice water being thrown at you is like. They, the the pen, penance and the signs that yeah, they had. Yeah, that's horrible. They had, Let uh, alone a, a rock. Yeah, I, and, and, but you can carry them around. You could have a whole case of them in the trunk of your car and nobody would ever think anything of it. I mean, there's nothing illegal about carrying around frozen bottles of water. It's not like carrying around yeah. a pallet of bricks, but then the and si- that's becoming that's becoming the norm that oh, we're yeah. seeing over the past couple. Well, of months. in this in this you video know? from a camera, they showed a guy uh, dropping a whole box of them in the middle of the crowd, so everybody made sure they had one, and they were all carrying black umbrellas, so because they knew it was coming. So I mean, this is very what well is, organized, you know. Yeah, and what is the end result? That what's the goal of that? The goal is to do what? It's to agitate the, the law enforcement, to push them harder. Um, is it have a different type of a motive that's utilizing them as a catalyst? Well, I think the motive is to to convince the general public that the police deserve it. I don't think it's so much to try to hurt them. Uh, well, I'm sure it's to try to hurt them, but I don't think that they believe that if they keep throwing them that the police will quit coming because it's our job. We keep coming. Now, by, by doing this now, what you're seeing to be the norm is we're being told to stand down. I mean, a, a major city here in Michigan, uh, the chief announced, if you face resistance, retreat. So when that gets out and people know that if they throw bottles at you, that you're not going to react, that you're not going to arrest them, you're not going to do anything except duck or be injured, uh, they were carrying pennants with PCV pipe as the like the pole, and the bottoms were shaved off like a spear, and they were actually cutting police officers with these spears. I mean, this wasn't a pipe; this was cut for intentionally to make a weapon of it. Uh, and, right. And when that happened, if you watch the video, the officers did nothing. I mean, they ducked. They, you know, tried to hide behind each other. They uh, tried to, you know, push the stuff out of the way, but. This has become the norm, and this, the reason this is, I believe, and this is what's most, most of the concern I have, is that this is what's expected of us now is to just be attacked. When you see them trying to take over the 12th precinct in Detroit a couple of weeks ago, what do the officers do? We're, we're a lot of gear and back up. I mean, there's no, we're not, we're not even allowed to defend the property that we are expected to defend. Uh, because we'll look bad. And so this is why guys are getting hurt. This is why nobody wants the job. This is why uh, no, nothing is going to come of this, because if if you can stand on a sidewalk and throw a bike rack through a store window on Fifth Avenue while the police are standing in the middle of the street watching, uh, and you know that 
you're going to get out of jail in four hours if they do arrest you without bond. You know, how do you expect that to stop? I mean, what what would what would convince somebody to say this is a bad thing when the cops are standing there watching you? It's it's disheartening in a lot of ways. It's very confusing because you, uh, a civilian like myself, we don't stand inside of the position and the requirements and and know everything that's going on for law enforcement that are out there. And it's interesting to hear for the retreat orders. Um, I think in the media recently too, I think it was down in DC, but there was a 911 recording that was released. And it was a woman that was stuck in the middle of a protest during the day, and I believe it was in DC. And she called, she had her daughter in the car, daughter was screaming and expressing her her fear. They were on the hood yeah, of her car. Yeah, on the hood of her car, and she's calling nine one one, and nine one one clearly told her, "We can't do anything. We yeah. can't disperse police there, unfortunately." Call the mayor. But when you get when you get to a safe location, call the mayor's office and express to them how you felt. You know, you and, mentioned you mentioned D.C. Dwight. We had a a police officer, deputy sheriff from Genesee County, uh, on with his kid in uh, Washington D.C. for the school trip, which every parent has probably accompanied their kid on at one time or another. And while he's standing outside of the school bus. Well, where the kids are at in D.C. Now, these are Michigan kids in D.C. Uh, he sees a murder, middle of the afternoon. Sees a guy shoot and kill somebody, then stand over that person and shoot him again. Now, the officer doesn't have a gun because, you know, Washington, D.C. is a gun-free zone. So you can't carry yeah. guns there. I don't know. Apparently, this guy must have been breaking the law that committed the murder because he was carrying a gun. And so this officer puts all these kids back on the bus, tells the teachers, take a ride, get down the street, and he goes after that guy and apprehends him. And the guy ends up, he's, he's calling the police as it's going on. And when the police arrive, they end up getting in a shootout with this guy, and, and he ends up uh, being killed. Now, this is a guy that's in Washington, D.C., 700 miles from home in street clothes with a bunch of 12-year-olds uh, to, to, you know, to look at the Jefferson Mem- Memorial or whatever. Now, can you imagine, is this what everybody does? No, this is what this, is what this deputy did because even though he's with the 40-year-old little kids, he's a cop. And what does he do without a weapon? He uses a cell phone and he tracks this guy down until they apprehend him. Now, that's the kind of stuff you don't hear about. You'll hear about it, from you'll see it on our POM.net. But it's not one of those things that people do. But we need to be reminded that, these are just human beings. This guy that saved the little baby in Sterling Heights, this officer, this deputy in Washington, D.C., that literally chased down a murderer, not, not a suspected murderer, a real murderer. These are people that go home. They want to go to soccer practice. They want to go to, uh, you know, they want to go to the donut shop. They want to take their kids to, to the pool. On a field trip. Yeah. You know, and here's a guy, he's out of town for four days on a field trip, and what does he end up doing? Witnessing and apprehending a murderer. So this is what we do. These are the people we seek to have, and now these are the same people that are being told, retreat if somebody is breaking the law or resisting you. Now, why wouldn't everyone resist us if that's the rule? I mean, seriously, if you know that there is no consequence to doing wrong, what stops you from doing wrong other than you're yeah. civilized or your, or you know, your, your, your own so conscience? Coming, coming from the law, you know, I, I want to hit it on both sides of the coin here. So coming from a civilian standpoint of, of things, hearing that and knowing that officers are being told to retreat when they're in a situation like this, in the event that I need them, and, and, and you know, adding to the situation I talked about the 911 call and mm-hmm. calling the mayor's office, tell them how you feel once you get safe. We can't do anything for you. Right. As a consumer, how am I supposed to feel? Is this the message that's starting to be delivered is that we can't rely on law enforcement to protect us when we need it? Well, I, I don't know how it could help but be the message. I'm still, maybe I'm living in the Wizard of Oz deal here. I think there are civilized people out there that still think, we're okay. I just think that mentioning that to someone, unless you really know who you're talking to, might get you, you know, into an argument. It might, be, it might get, cause some kind of a conflict with a guy where you're just trying to buy a, an ice cream someplace. But what happens is we, we do hire from the human race. And, you know, you've heard this discussion about qualified immunity. We have two presidential candidates, and I, I can uh, say that in the NAPO 
discussion that came up. You've heard of qualified immunity. Qualified immunity, um, maybe you don't know what it means, but qualified immunity is that if a police officer is doing something reasonable in the scope of his duty and it goes wrong, that they can't sue him personally. They can't take his house, can't take his car. Um, can he be charged with a crime? Absolutely. Can he be fired? Yes. But civilly, his his family, whatever, whoever else he's responsible to, can't suffer the consequence of this because of qualified immunity. Now, it has to be reasonable, and it has to be within the scope of his duty. This doesn't mean the guy gets to go out and beat people up. It means that he's out trying to do his job, and somehow or other, you know, he misses the target once something happens. Now, the move right now is to eliminate qualified immunity. And I think that most people I laid out out in front of say, oh, well, what that means is that the cops can get away with murder. It's not true. We have guys in prison. We have guys that get fired. I had a guy fired last Friday, okay, not for murder, much less. Uh, it happens. Our guys get fired. Uh, we don't hire a bunch of bad people. Do some people turn Jim, bad? Do, are some people bad? Yeah, but we, that's not what we're looking Jimmy, for. Let, let me cut in on you in regards to this here. So is qualified immunity also something that's being called into question and what that really means and if that's still plausible for it's, law enforcement to have? It's one, of the, it's one of the hot topics in Washington, D.C. right now and in Lansing. In Lansing. Matter of fact, one of the presidential candidates has said, you know, that, that nobody should have qualified immunity. But you know what's going to happen? No one, nobody wants the job now. But if you actually think every, every situation we come into that include two human beings, one of them is going to be dissatisfied. Okay, I mean, if it's in a kitchen, yeah. if it's in a kitchen, it's, a, it's at the restaurant, a guy didn't like his, his food. Everybody stands, everyone in the situation stands to have one unhappy person. And if that person feels they've been insulted, that you uh, slandered them, or that you picked on them because of their age, race, gender, whatever, um, they got to get sued. And now he's going to get sued for responding to a call that he was sent on that somebody said, please resolve this dispute. So, you know, one of the, one of the parties out there right now is thinking there should be no qualified immunity. And I think that there are an overwhelming number of people, maybe I would have been one at some point in my life, if, you, if I heard that, I would have thought, well, geez, well, why should they be immune from prosecution? It's not like that. It's qualified immunity. Uh, it's them doing something that probably 9 out of 10 people would say, he shouldn't have done that. Uh, so different. It, it, I guess one of the aspects of that then, too, I guess you would have to speak to the fact that law enforcement, especially you know people going out on the street, police officers, you know, starting out, they're just getting a high rate of pay. I mean, that's got to be the attraction to the job is making six figures or so a year, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You're kidding me, right? Uh, oh, so that's not the case. So oh, I'd say the average police officer, alert? the average police officer in this state makes well under fifty thousand dollars a year, and that's not starting way. I'd say if you get north of I sixty nine, that's probably top pay. Okay. So the point of my sarcasm was. What's going to attract people to protect us as citizens? Let's say, let's, let's do the Wizard of Oz theory again here. Let's go six months here in the future. We have uh, a, a change in atmosphere in Michigan. We're going into colder months, coming into the holidays. The presidential election is done and over with. Um, th there's going to be a need for some type of enforcement out in society still. And how are we going to attract people to go into this position? Are there, or is legislation at large in Michigan looking at alternative ways to enforce laws? Well, oh, that's, a, that's a bunch of questions there, but that's good. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's go back to here. How do you attract guys that are making that kind of a wage who can be sued for their home uh, when you want to defund the police? So... Okay, now you hear, well, we don't mean defund, we just mean reallocate. Okay, well, if you've got 100 bucks in the kitty and you defund, it's 90, or you reallocate 10, it's 90. So what, what do we do with that? Most of it's personnel-related costs. I hate to tell you this, that even though they don't make a lot yeah. of money, we still have to pay people. And so you well, have this defunding, defunding of the police or disbanding of the police now, if you're a young person, and, and I want to get into this a little bit deeper, if you're a young person and 
And this is a job that you've always wanted. Why do you? Because you loved watching CSI Miami or you loved watching Chicago PD or, or Grandpa was a police officer in the city of Detroit back in the 60s. Got it. You know what? Everybody that you talk to is going to say, are you out of your mind? Are you going to want to go to a $6,000 academy, spend four months of your life, go through a year of probation and take five years to get to the top pay of sixty grand? And then find out that uh, everybody hates you, that your, your friends don't talk to you, that uh, you can't park in front of your house because the neighbors think you get a deal. Or you could be sued and lose everything you've got because you made a bad decision. Not, not an intentionally bad decision, but just screwed up. Or you were forced. You, yeah, you, or you were forced to be put in to make a decision in the heat of the moment. They want to say that you can't. If uh, Right now they want to say you can't choke. I'm telling you, if you're trying to kill somebody, uh, if, if somebody's trying to get your gun or somebody's trying to harm you uh, and you're losing, listen, we're not, we don't all hide, we're not all 6'5", 250. We're not all bodybuilders. Right. We're human beings. And when you get yourself in a jam, it's, it's, it's fight or flight. I mean, at some point in time, you might have to do what you have to do. But uh, this, this situation with the uh, qualified immunity is going to create a problem. And let me tell you where it goes further than six months, Dwight. This is, I think this is important. We hire, we're going to lose a generation. And if you want to call a generation 20 years, I'm going to say that's reasonable. A generation of people that would want to be police because a guy at 27 or 28 that's going to be probably a useful career as a cop has, has already been wanting to be a cop for a long time. You don't right. decide because you got laid off somewhere or, you know, this looks like a cool thing. You don't become a police officer. It's a culture. It's it's uh, it's something that you grow into. There's a deeper attraction. It is, and and those that starts when a kid is twelve, thirteen, fifteen, maybe younger, maybe a little older. But so if, if right now, if you're a sixteen year old kid, you have a chance to go to college, or your chance to pick your career, and police is out of it. By the time this deal, if ever, calms down, you've you've gone elsewhere. You've thought of something else to do. You've found that police was not an attractive position. It used to be an honorable job. I, I continue to think that it is. But right now, if you lose a 16-year-old, who's not qualified to take the test, but he's qualified to think like a cop, to think this is what he wants to do, to have this desire, if you lose that 16-year-old, you're losing the next 16 years too. So you're suddenly 20, 25 years. I think that's very very conservative, of, of a, a career uh, that you're not going to have anybody that wants a job. And uh, it's, not, no, it's not for four or five years. It's, it's a decade. Yeah, that's a pretty troubling explanation and statement there because if we think about that, um, with all of the changes that have happened in society, technology, culture, all these aspects, and then you, you layer that on over the past decade, that could be monumentally different still in the next five, ten years. That's going to enforce decisions like that. So how do you make this attractive? Um, So again, defunding the police and coming back to that there too. Let's get into the legislation a little bit. What is happening in Lansing and in in D.C. on those levels that are partaking in the way that this is is changing and moving along? Well, what's happening is they're trying to uh, take – listen, this has been a bad year. For economics, you know, I mean, the, the, the virus, uh, all the things that have gone on. So, you know, that means the state, which lives on taxes, when the property value goes down, sales taxes go down. So there's money down. I understand that. But here's what, what worries me the most about that, is that it's unpopular to say we should do something good for the police. It's unpopular. It's like if I say that, I better know the company I'm in. And legislatively... You there? It's it's not a fine line. It's not a it's not a, 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 a foggy line. It's it's you're on the right or you're on the left. And if you right now are a guy saying, you know, we got to do something to help these guys get pensions. We got to do something to get these starting wages up because who's going to want this job? They're literally coming in at eighteen dollars an hour. So if, it, if they come through the gate at thirty five, forty thousand dollars an hour, uh, you know. That's not. I'm sure most guys can make more money than that doing other things. And this is not a job you can go into and get out of and go back into. This is a job that you choose uh, because it's it's something inherent, you know, in, in your in your being. And uh, so, what can now, they, what can the they quarter, do? Nothing, really. 
Early in the quarter, Jim, POAM had championed getting some relief funding for first-line responders that yeah. includes law enforcement. Right. Tell us a little bit about what you guys are able to get Lansing to squeeze and to provide to a lot of the law enforcement. Well, that's a good question. It's actually, that money came from, from Washington. Okay, it's called the CARES Act. Don't ask me what the acronym means, but uh, it, that was money that was sent to the state to try to be shared with first responders, you know, and that, and I would say it goes a little further than first responders. I would say, and I hate this term, essential people, because I'm not sure anyone sitting around me right now is feeling unessential. Uh, they are very essential. But what happened in there was they sent millions of dollars to the Lansing, and then Lansing got to decide what to do with it. And ultimately what they did was they put in $1,000 per person, a one-shot deal, uh, it, but here's the irony of it. In order for them to get it, it's a reimbursement account. So if they gave an officer a thousand, they get reimbursed a thousand. If they don't give them the thousand, they can't apply for the job or for the reimbursement. So what happened is they've got this money, and I've got employers. I find this, I find this uh, obscene. If that's a good choice of words, there are there are counties and departments in this state that are not applying for free money because their guys don't deserve it, it's not popular with the community, or, in the worst part of it, some of them don't have the 1000 bucks to give a guy in the first place. Uh, so this is happening. I mean, at Leelanau County, God, I wish they would listen to this. This is one of, the, one of the most beautiful places you'd ever want to live, out east and northeast of Traverse City. They decided not to even ask for it because their guys don't deserve it. Now, tell me about that. Tell me. I mean, these are guys making, you know, 50000 bucks a year. They worked through the virus. These guys never were off. They worked. Yeah. And, and they were getting going through protocols and having to be quarantined and having to take tests every day, getting a thermometer put in the middle of their forehead when they walk into the building. And all did it. And well, I even remember you sharing some pictures of one of your members that was quarantining in the middle of the winter time with the snow and the zero degrees temperature oh, yeah. in a in an RV trailer in his backyard. It's absolutely so true. His wife yeah. and his daughter. So I mean, you've Up got guys that are committed. You've got men and women that are committed to the job, to what the oath they took, and to what it means. And knowing that you know there will be a chance, there not a chance, but that I may be called upon one day to help remove some people, or God forbid, children from a burning building. There, I may have to be called in the middle of the night um, to an area um, and to uh, try to help a small child to remove from, from uh, uh, you know, to resuscitate and get breathing again and save a life. I may be called into a situation. Let's talk about what happened in Eaton County because that's one of the, our members mm -hmm. for POAM. And this is a female that's been a 22-year veteran. So you got a female officer that chose a career, and she showed up in this made national news as well. Yep, it's. Uh, I'll tell you, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a photo that should be shown at the police academy. It should be shown at training sessions. So proud of her. Uh, I'm proud of all my guys. I love my guys. I do. I even love the, the guys that goof up now and then. I, because I still think that it's an honorable job, and I think their intentions are good. Uh, in that particular case, this was a fight over a mask, if you can imagine, if masks haven't become a new part of our terminology. Uh, at an ice cream parlor, as I understand it, where somebody complained to a, that a guy didn't have his mask on. And the guy got mad. I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version here. And uh, he went back and he got a, a screwdriver and he came back and stabbed the guy that apparently had told him he should have a mask on. Stabbed the guy, seriously injuring him. Gets in his car, leaves. Uh, this deputy's working in her own car. I mean, not her own car, but a single-person car. Uh, they get the address of the place. They go there. There's nobody home. Two state troopers that had come to assist her decide to go check where he works. Uh, while they're gone, the, the guy, the suspect, shows up. And when he does, and I never was a... I, I started out not being a real big fan of cameras, but uh, maybe it's because I goofed around too much on the job. But... I can tell you that in this particular situation, and, and I think you guys probably saw the video, but if you see what this guy does, he comes running at her with a knife and a screwdriver, and she pleads yeah, it to stop. Yeah, he was double fist, and he had him in each hand. Yeah, and he got with it. He actually, actually touched his hand. That's how close it was. And her gun yeah. jams. She clears it, 
and she was some shit. This is like a training session, how she cleared this gun. We were all taught it. I've never experienced it in real life. And what she did was magical. But it's on a body camera, an in-car camera, and the famous ring doorbell camera from the house they were standing in front of. And this, this is a, this is a, a female that, uh, I think you say, 22 years on a job. 22 years ago wasn't maybe the most popular thing for a female to do, so she probably was a bit of a trailblazer, but obviously has it, has it all together and did a one heck of a job. But one of the things I wanted, I think I reminded my guys in the office of was, you know, she, she still wants to go home at night. She doesn't want to, she's going to see this on the news. She's going to see it potentially on POM.net. Uh, but ultimately, she wants to go back to work. She probably has friends. She probably has family. And what she'd really like to do is be a person. And it's so hard to escape. Here we are talking about her two weeks later. And I'm glad to talk about her because actually she's pretty darn sharp. But this is the kind of thing that people forget about, that they go out about this. These kids that went through that trailer on fire, they had skin stuck to their hands. Okay? Yeah. Let's, now, let's, wake let's up and think back about the that. Layer of that. Let's peel back the layer of that onion for a second. Now, it's on full body cam. So we're, we're in a society now where, you know, law enforcement to a large part is being documented with video so that it can be recovered as evidence so that we're, you know, trying to have a third party that's actually telling the situation audible and everything, audio and video to, to be utilized to, to, I guess, it's, it's a, a piece in place to give citizens a, a fair advantage as well. So should something go wrong? And so we see this, and this was international news that this happened, you know, that this was right. similar to the one in Sterling Heights. And she gives the verbal warnings. She gives numerous verbal warnings. She draws her weapon, gives further warnings. The guy proceeds, and she terminates the threat. She right. has a, a jam, as you were talking about, and her training came into play. And that heat of the moment, that split second, she knew what to do. It was part of an her instinct. So now this is over, okay? The threat's been terminated. She's brought safety to the situation. So she's just supposed to, at the end of her shift, and, oh, got to go home. I'm going to go meet my friends, and we're going to go bowling, or we're going to go do whatever and just go back to normal life. I mean, you're talking about now we have a, a, a life incident that has occurred. you got paperwork. you got all these other things involved. And then she's supposed to go back, and she's supposed to report back in another day or two, right? right. So all these other layers of stress and everything else, at the rate of pay what it is, but you want to, you know, people are out there championing to defund this type of a situation. Let's, let's turn the table for a second here. God forbid, and this was in daylight too. This was in the, um, the, the late day. afternoon, so it was yeah. still full sun. It was, looked like it was a nice neighborhood too. What, what a chance if there were some kids out there playing, riding their bikes around or something else, or you know, some elder person or another man or a woman are going out to the mailbox and came across this gentleman. Could that have been a bigger situation? We know they're not in school. Yeah, well, they're not again. But we can play out all these different types of scenarios, all the what-if scenarios. But fact of the matter is that you have someone that, at the large part, society wants to, and, and, and you have politicians, you have community leaders that are voicing to defund and take care of the situation. But then you have situations like that when you expect them to be there. It's, it's very confusing for me on a number of levels. And I think the fairness is just not being played out in a, in a large part. Well, here's part um, of the problem, Dwight, is it's, it's uh, the most vocal of the audience uh, is, is enthused about defunding the police. I'm not saying it's the majority of the people. I'm saying, but that's the news. Uh, yeah. That's, that's what people want to hear. Because, you know, when you think about it in your lifetime, now probably not you because you, you've been around our guys here and there, and maybe not the, the kids here in the office, but... For the most part, people go through their life and really never meet a police officer on a good day. You know, it might be you walk right. out of the theater and your car's gone. It might be you come home from a ball game and the back door's kicked in. It might be mom and dad had a couple of pops and are arguing. It might be the red and blue lights behind you for, you know, some speeding limit. So, you know, this is what, these are why you know us. Now, you might have one that's a neighbor you might like, but he's probably not the friendliest guy. He's probably one of these guys that works three shifts or comes home at late at night. So you've really never had that opportunity to meet a real guy. And when, at one point in time, community policing, this is back in the mid-'90s, late-'90s, community policing was a big, big uh, 
move. And what it was is to allow a guy to work in the neighborhood. If you can remember, remember an old movie maybe where you had a beat cop. You know, he walked down the street. You know, we're here in your in your building, in your office. People walk. If you had an officer to walk by here every day, he takes a peek in. He knows who belongs in here, who doesn't. He knows why that door is unlocked or it's locked. Uh, he knows who, you know, there's always a red pickup truck parked over there. Now it's not there. They see things because they have this, this you know, this is what they do is they look for things. And you know that when you see Officer Jones, you can trust him. You know, you're going to walk up to him and say, hey, I saw this going on over here. Something you might not call the police about, but that you tell him. Those, those don't exist anymore. And as you defund police, those were all bonus guys. In my city of Saginaw, where we had 177 sworn officers for the 80,000 people in that town, um, one of the top 10 most violent communities under 80,000 in America, by the way, we had 177 officers. Now we have 50. Now, how do you think, do you think that's because uh, uh, crime in Saginaw is down by 75%? No. No, I would not say. Yeah, <laughs> it's not. They had four shootings over the weekend, too. You have, instead of having... Eight guys in a district, you have one guy in a district, and every call they go on is a two-person call, and you want to defund them. Seriously? Come on. Where's the civilized guy out there that says that makes sense? I don't know. So, Jim, recently it's been said by um, President Donald Trump that he was talking about after recent developments, including Portland and Chicago from over the weekend, he was going to be sending out federal uh, troops. Federal agents. Federal agents. Federal agents, sorry. What is that going to do on a localized level? Let's say, God forbid, we had some of those challenges in Michigan. I think he did bring up Detroit because Detroit's had their Mm -hmm. share of protests and whatnot, um, including shootings. Um, If agents are coming in, is that in support of local law enforcement? Is that reinforcement? Or what is that going to do to the community? Is that going to further ex- ex- exaggerate the situation? Or are they falling underneath a different type of a district or um, jurisdiction? And then it's going to be confusing more to the local municipalities. Most of that will be handled on a case-by-case place. I mean, Portland may be different than Detroit. But let me give you an example. Of how We have federal buildings in the city of Detroit. You know, you have federal right. buildings. Those are the property of the federal government. Uh, so they have to come in and protect the people there and the buildings there. That's, that was the first thing that, that started this, is surround our own property, our own buildings, not take the place of the police, but be responsible for those places that are our responsibility. The other way that they'll be used, I would think, is it will be just as a support staff. They will be, maybe they'll be out doing non enforcement work like uh, serving warrants uh, you know you might not see them on the sidewalk where the where the bike rack is going through the building it might be in a more of a support situation like that there may be a second guy in the car you know like a, a partner in the car uh, so th- they'll be used as they get needed I think in Portland they wanted them just used as for non-personal things uh, but they you know that could change but They'll be support. They won't be the police department other than on federal property where they are responsible for protecting federally owned buildings. Okay. So moving on to the news of Berkeley, California, where they're moving to stop police from conducting traffic stops right. and to use you know, civilian city workers to do that instead. And it, when I brought that up to you, you said, man, that sounds like Andy Griffith back in the 60s. <laughs> Well, and, you, well, know, you and I are the only ones that know who that is or who Bernie Fife yeah. was. No, there's, others, there's other listeners out there that are going to recall that, too. And when we put this podcast out there, we're going to include a little clip that we did find online. Citizens Arrest. Gomer. Yeah, but yeah. what is, I mean, and, and we're talking that California, I mean, that's, that's quite a few thousand miles away, different situations, still part of the U.S. There's still a lot of similarities. You know, they got people, they got law enforcement, they got challenges. The country has a lot of problems as a whole. That's not going to be specific to any race or geolocation or anything like that. But if that becomes a trend and that starts to pick up more and more, you've got localized government that's allowing that to happen. What if something like that is going to happen here in Michigan? Um, what, what, what would that potentially would be the outcome of something like that? And is that going to be dehumanizing towards local jurisdictions? Dehumanizing towards the police? Yeah. No, because... I don't, I don't know too many guys out there that really relish the idea of writing tickets anyway. We usually do it so we don't get yelled at. Uh, 
That's that's pretty much. I mean, it used to be uh, traffic violations were for the safe and efficient movement of pedestrians and traffic. How do you like that for a memory, right? Safe and efficient <laughs> movement of pedestrians and traffic. You know what? Now it's revenue. That's all they want to do is catch money. They need they need the cash. So just you know, jack everybody to the curb and get some money out of them. None of us like doing that. Believe me. I mean, there's probably a guy out there that you heard that. Oh, I'll write my mother a ticket. Well, I never wrote my mom a ticket. Sure, sure, sure. But I'm going at it from I'm going more at it from the point of does that now open up permission for local citizens to device and understand the law and the statutes and what aspects and that now they can start to become involved and do their own types of citizen arrest or is it strictly limited to someone blowing a stop sign and you can yell and try to stop that car? Like, it seems like it's a pretty weird mixed message for society at whole. Well, in Michigan, you have to be a certified law enforcement officer to write a civil infraction or, or misdemeanor traffic violation, okay? Civilians can write parking tickets, where it be meters, fire, lane, handicap zones. You know, you'll see civilians doing that, but civilians can't write uh, 10 over tickets. It's not legal here. Now, does that mean somebody couldn't change the law? I guess you can change anything if you want to. Think about it. So it's not likely to happen. I mean, I know this guy in Berkeley... Maybe I doubt the law is different in California. Otherwise, there'd be a lot of crazy people out there trying to stop guys. I, I you know, I can laugh about it, and I'm going to laugh about it because it just cracks me up. But the, the fact of the matter is, we get a lot of people hurt on traffic stops. We've had guys killed on traffic stops, lots of them. I mean, it's probably one of the more dangerous things that you'll see occur out there. I have, I don't have the numbers here, but to think that a guy. A civilian, you, Dwight Zaringer, could pull up behind somebody and say, hey, I was pacing you back there and you were going 18 over the speed limit. Give me your license. Uh, God bless you if you want to pull that one off. Because, listen, if they can be wise guys to us, what are they going to do to you? Say, oh, geez, well, you're not a real policeman. You're Dwight, so I'll give you my license. It's just one of the most absurd things I've ever heard. Uh, the, the, the citizen's arrest thing that you hear about and that you hear about, I guess, in your Barney video that's a felony that's committed in your presence. If you see somebody kill somebody, yeah, you can take offense. You, you can take action on it. Civil infractions, misdemeanor traffic violations are not for civilians. Not legal here. If they make it legal, uh, you're going to find some guys that are going to be very excited about, boy, I'm going to go do this. And after they do two or three of them, they're going to say, this is the nuttiest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, when you talk about it in Berkeley, as I recall, they were talking about other city workers and I'm thinking that it was something like, say, public works guys, uh, parks guys, uh, uh, you know, maybe road commission guys. And I, and I think you people should know that, uh, you know, that we have a branch of our business called the Technical Professional and Office Worker Association. We represent a lot of road commissions. We represent a lot of DPWs. We represent a lot of uh, public works people. And they work hard. They're good people. They're, they're really sharp. I mean, we we're proud to have them as part of our group. What I think you'd be hard-pressed to find two or three of them that'd say, well, I'd like to go out there and start pulling cars over and writing up tickets because, believe me, everybody's not that courteous. It's not like you have fun. It's really not. So I, I think that guy out there, if it was a council person or whatever it was, some guy that must have banged his head someplace. So... You know, let's let's recap and, and kind of like commence and bring this together here. So the other thing I wanted to bring up is, or you know, I wanted you to explain a little bit more to members, what is POAM actively working on? I know it's all the time you're doing things, but it helps to get to some of the infinite, you know, talk about like the State of the Union right now. You know, that's happening in Lansing in D.C. and how are we working for members right now? Well, the qualified immunity thing is huge right now. It's huge. Uh, you know, it's been, it's been in existence for the, the, I guess I've been around 50 years in this, 40-some years in this business. And that's been around all that time. Uh, but I've never heard it talked about the way it's talked about now. And right now it sounds to me like a politician that is opposed to getting rid of it, that's a double negative, um, is probably going to get yelled at. I mean, it seems to be they want to take something from the police and that's what they want to take away from us. Like we're out there, you know, robbing banks or something. I mean, it's unbelievable. So we're, so we're working really hard out there. Hmm? Yeah, we're trying to keep that, that narrative out there and, and, and encourage politicians and public, public-facing officials to speak, you know, in, in part of positive and, and not 
diminishing that or taking that away. Right. Let's, let's speak again. The other thing we're trying to do legislatively is to, uh, and in order to try to encourage people to come here to work, we're trying to get uh, it's like a subsidy from the government through a grant, say, an individual grant where where a local government could say, we want to hire uh, somebody. And a lot of the arguments you hear are, well, these police officers don't even live in town. They don't live around here. They don't know anybody. They don't understand the culture. Uh, I have believed for years, and I still I start to see a little bit of traction on this now, where if the government would say, let's just use, uh, here we are in Royal Oak today. So if the city of Royal Oak said, we, uh, we, we need to hire two officers. Nobody applies for the job. Literally, years ago, if we had 10 openings, we got 2,000 applicants. Now we have 10 openings, we get three or four applicants. And most of those three or four, I've applied five places. So we don't get, we don't, we don't get to pick anymore. We get to take what, what comes through the door on two feet. So... And a lot of times those are guys that don't live in town because they need a job. Their application, their, their certification with MCOLs is good for one year. So if they don't get a job in a year, they have to go back and get refreshed. So maybe you really want to work in Royal Oak, but the only opening is down in Southgate. So you drive back and forth to Southgate every day hoping that Royal Oak has got an opening. So what we're trying to do is get the government to allow local municipalities, in this case we'll say Royal Oak, to get money to hire a person uh, that would pay them a stipend, we we had suggested like four hundred bucks a week, and pay for their academy training, which is about six thousand to sixty five hundred dollars. And keep in mind, it's it's four months where a person can't continue to work at the job that he's had. He's going. This is a full time job for sixteen weeks. So what we would like to do is have say a Royal Oak apply in their town. Go to their local church. Go to their local school. Go to their local whatever other organization you can think of and say, hey, we're looking for two guys or two, two people, two females, two guys. And, and we'll send them through the academy and we'll pay them $400 a week and they'll earn seniority while they're there, assuming that they graduate and that they, that they make it through probation for a year after that. So that way you, you can encourage people in town to apply and you can narrow the focus, and you can actually get a guy whose dad, you know, is the pharmacist over at the CVS store, who, whose dad is the dentist in town, or his mom works at the local sure. hospital. So we can get local guys, and we've been trying that for years. We're starting to get a little action on it because they're discovering that. I was in Gladwin County yesterday, and in the last 10 years, now this is an 11-man department. In the last 10 years, we've lost 22 New hires. They've come yeah. in. It, it takes, it caught, you know, you pay a guy a wage for a year, you pay for his health care for a year, you contribute a little bit to his pension, you pay somebody to help train him, and a year later he's gone. We lost 22 people in a 10 man department. Now, do the math, figure that out. Now, is that a big cause to poaching and basically diminishing of perception of the career and they're getting picked up because uh, there's not enough applicants that are out there oh, yeah. to, you know, Right now, so right now, if you, if you can find a guy that with three or four years' experience someplace that you don't have to put through the academy, that you don't have, that you have some type of a, you know, you, you know that he plays well with others, that he's been a pretty good person. Uh, and listen, there's it's no holds barred. It's like free agency, and the reason that is, is because the departments don't put you through the academy anymore. You know, if you remember Al Kaline, he was a tiger for his whole life because they took a chance on him when he was eighteen. When I went to when I got hired on a job, the city had put me through the academy, and in my mind, that was where I was going to work. But if I put myself through, and I come out with my certificate and hold my hand over my head and say, "Hey, I'm here and ready," and you offer me a quarter more than the other guy, why would I stay? There's defined contribution pensions. Uh, there's no retirement health care. Uh, what's my obligation to you? None. And that's what's happening. Jim, what's What's going on right now with the Attorney General? We noticed that there was a release that came out, and this is investigating or potentially opening up and investigating. It sounds like it's just a media you know, media jacking um, from our perception, but she wants to open up some investigations with the Shelby Township uh, incident from a couple years ago. Right, right. Uh, well, she has put someone in charge of a, I don't know if you want to call it a commission, but an investigatory committee, 
believe uh, one of them is a former chief or a lieutenant. Uh, I don't want to guess at where it was at. I think I know, but uh, that that would reevaluate and reinvestigate and dig deeper into every investigation involving a, a fatal incident involving a police officer. And to me, you know, when you say it looks like it's just media buzz, let me tell you, media buzz is what gets us in trouble. I mean, uh, if, if they do media buzz on it and it turns out ah, you know, nothing happened, that's like a failure. I mean, they don't right. go look and hope that you're okay. They go look and hope they find something. And if they don't, it becomes, uh, we didn't look hard enough. This, this, I, you know, these investigations might take a year or more. And meanwhile, some poor sap who's out there, is, who's already been cleared, uh, this particular case you're talking about, he's, he's already retired. I mean, so what happens to him now? Uh, so yeah, they're going to do this. Uh, they're going to dig in, and, and they're going to look for anything they can find. They're not going to. And I, listen, I'm not a... I'm not a, a Dana Nessel uh, plus or a minus. I mean, she does her job. Whatever she does, she does. I, I, I have no say over it. But the fact of the matter is, if they're going to dig into it and they're going to spend a bunch of money on it, it's going to be sort of like the Bob Mueller deal a few years ago. I mean, we're just going to keep spending until we find something. Uh, because otherwise, we should have quit spending sooner. And this is not going to be a, It's not going to be good. I don't, have, I don't care if they look. I really don't. Uh, but I think, it's, uh, I think it's not got the good intentions you're giving it. That's unfortunate because it seems like a lot of those efforts at a governmental governmental level right now, especially in the midst of everything that's going on, can be put into some better ways, um, not only for our members but even for the community at whole. So well, you know, in that case, Macomb County did a very thorough investigation on it. I mean, so I guess you're saying that the sheriff of Macomb or the prosecutor in Macomb or or the investigators in Macomb obviously must not be competent because us over here in Lansing can look at something two years later and and discover something. Uh, and and if it, but if they don't then they've failed. So I guess they'll keep looking. You know, I mean, I don't know. Listen, we, I, I, want, I, want the good, I want the good stuff out, and I, just, I expect us to expose the bad stuff too. But, but I think sometimes, you know, you can just keep scratching at that uh, scab until you've got a, a permanent mark there. Well, I'm very fortunate to work with a lot of great people that uh, are or were police officers or law enforcement officers. We're very dedicated to our people. We've experienced the job. We experience it every day with through our members. Uh, we, we enjoy what we do. We love our people, and we want the best for them, and we look forward to doing all we can in the future. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to another edition of the POAM podcast radio show. I want to remind you that each and every month you can find every single podcast online on Apple iTunes. Just search for POAM. They're also available for download or for live listen on our website. Visit us at POAM.net. Get on our newsletter and send us all of your comments and suggestions for future shows.